Support for the Oral Gage podcast comes from Campfire Health, an insurance broker bringing together like-minded companies to form coverage coalitions for smaller employers. By pairing our community-based approach with a focus on wellness and charitable giving, your employees will be incentivized and empowered to make better health decisions and to save money. Find out more at campfirehealth.com. How's work? That was grand. Yeah? Pretty quiet. That is that dinner, is it? Oh, that yeah, that's dinner. Yeah. Did you I, wash up? Yeah. Did you put it in there? Yeah, yeah. Then Jai told me. So the, I cleaned up all the cutlery though, and the plates and the parments. Pa- oh. But you can you. fucking do the cups, you dickhead. Yeah, I'll do that. Thank you, though. Yeah. Nice. This is like legit Irish banter. <laughs> you should let's have this at the very middle. This is sponsored by Irish Comedy. I'm Johnny Pickett, and this is the Argage Podcast, where we talk to people from around the world about their music, stories, and country. Right now, you're hearing On Brew, a composition of Gareth Quinn Redman from Dublin, Ireland. This week, Gareth and I discuss the Ireland outside of its stereotypes, listening to the cosmopolitan changes that have happened and are still are happening in the country. The song that I've chosen is Whiskey in the Jar, uh, specifically Thin Lizzy's uh, version of the song. I chose it because I wanted to choose a song that was I had a personal connection to and something that yeah I could just relate to and I could understand uh, the influence that I had. So it was in the 70s in Ireland, and it would have been Thin Lizzy at the time, weren't, weren't that big. And uh, the reason I've chosen it is because it represented, I think, to the world, a different uh, representation of our, what Ireland is. Up to that point, like the Dubliners had a very popular version of that song in the 60s when they were touring all over Europe and uh, North America. As I was going over the far-famed Kerry Mountains I met with Captain Farrell and his money he was counting I first produced me pistol and I then produced me rapier Say stand and deliver for you are a bold deceiver Mushering the do-do-do-da Where call the daddy-o Where call the daddy 
And then it's almost kind of like the exact opposite, the way that Thin Lizzy played it. It's a rock version of the song. And it kind of showed Ireland kind of maturing in a sense into kind of a, like a proper, you know, cosmopolitan society, if you will. It was very, it was a maturing song. It was a, it was a, it was a current image uh, that was kind of in contrast to what the stereotypical uh, perception of Irish people is like. And I always remember, like, because it was actually one of the first songs that I learned on guitar. That was about, like, eight years ago. I had my dad's Epiphone Les Paul, uh, like, cherry red or something like that. And uh, I went into Walton's one day, which is a music shop in town. And I was, uh, before, like, this is before, like, I knew anything about the internet or just getting tablature online. And uh, I was kind of filming through all the tablature books, and I found Thin Lizzy. And uh, my dad got it for me, I think it was, like, 15 euro or something like that. And I went home that uh, night... And I, I remember just kind of, <laughs> it's just one of those guys, I was just learning how to read tablature. So I was kind of trying to figure out where, how to play. And <laughs> I thought the, you know, it has that really like atmospheric introduction. Like, I thought the tablature for was <laughs> I was there for like 20 minutes. It's like. How the hell does this sound like the main riff? classic Eureka moments when you're kind of learning to play an instrument for the first time so I, I have a really fond memory of like learning that song like finally getting it and then realizing that it was a mistake in different parts um but yeah so like it was it's a, I think it was a very interesting representation of Ir what Irish music could be and like it also kind of worked against the stereotypes of it like you had three guys from Dublin on top of the pops uh, one of them's like one of them's black, and like he's speaking in like a flat Dublin accent, you know. And they're playing a rock rendition of an Irish traditional song, you know. It's a re it was a, I say at the time, my parents said it anyway. It was kind of revolutionary in a sense, you know. And it nothing had been real. 
as popular like obviously there were a few other bands around that were playing kind of like a Irish rock main, main, namely the Horse Lips who were a fantastic band and yeah my mum just said like it was that kind of Celtic rock that Irish rock was kind of brought in the mainstream by Thin Lizzy and then like it was even just emphasised even further by like people like uh, Rory Gallagher and then the aforementioned Horse Lips you know and yeah, I think it was just a big moment for Irish music uh, abroad. And of course, then Lizzie went on to have a huge influence uh, on some, like even Metallica. They're like, they'll often say in interviews that like the guitar playing in Thin Lizzie was like a huge influence on their sound, this harmony. There weren't, I think like the way like the two guitarists harmonized with each other was just fantastic. You know, it was just so fluid and so tight all the time. It was crazy. But yeah, I think like, that was why I chose that song, you know, it was kind of an, it was a, a step in a very different direction for Ireland in a kind of a mainstream way. Yeah, it's interesting you say it was revolutionary in the idea that, you know, you have a, a like a black guy leading the band. Because uh, when you watch him, like, you know, I just YouTubed him today. And, uh, they look like your kind of classic, like out of the U.S. band. Really? I mean, just be you know, he's got like an afro, yeah, and yeah. they're playing like hard, and they're playing with like a yeah. lot of grit, you know, dropping the shoulder. Oh man, like they really lay into it, like yeah, that's, that's, like if you watch some of the later footage as well, like Phil Lynn is just an absolutely incredible frontman. He just kind of oozes confidence, like it's crazy. But like, there's this one video uh, for a song called. Old Town. Is it El Old Town? I can't remember the name of the song. Um, I think it is Old Town, but like, so there's a video of this filler just walking through town, you know, and like, like I think it's like in the 80s, like, and you just see everyone, it's really get really cool crowd reactions, like he's just walking down Grafton Street, and like, you just, you just see people like, their heads turning and they're just like, jaw drops, because he just stands out, you know, he's a tall black guy in Ireland, you know. She plays it hard, she plays it tough But that's enough, the love is over She's broke his heart and that is rough But it'll be able to recover The romance is over I like, that's what my mom said, like, there was, like, no black people. The first time my mom saw a black person was when she was working in London. That was during the 80s. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah, and like she was like, "Whoa, cool!" No way. Yeah, so like for someone like Phil Linnet, like he just naturally stood out, you know, because there wasn't a lot of black people in Ireland at that time, not let alone like in one of the coolest fucking bands, you know. And they rocked, you know. They were just so good. We're being joined now by Patty's uh, dog Hugo. Patty, if you hear a couple little uh, side squeaks, that would be uh, yeah, our good friend Hugo. Yeah, just 
Uh, also, oh, yeah. oh, there he is. Um, your mom didn't see a black guy until the eighties. Yeah, well, she, my mom and dad moved over there during the eighties because of uh, the recession. They moved to the Jersey Islands and then they moved to Surrey. And my mom worked in something to do with uh, the airport, the cargo or something like that, just organizing everything like that. And uh, yeah, it was during that time there, that, that time bro, that she saw her first black person. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, I was just talking to our friend Finn uh, a couple hours ago, really, and we were talking about it came up in our 30-minute conversation um, because uh, our friend Ezel, yeah. uh, he's, uh, he's from the U.S. and he's black and he does great work recording and he's also a musicologist and uh, we're meeting up tomorrow and, and Finn was kind of excited and uh obviously he's excited because Azel's a cool guy and he said you know oh and it's so cool like having a black guy around kind of thing yeah and i was like oh yeah yeah i guess he's like well you don't realize like this was not a thing like up until like somewhat recently yeah and this uh, this is the conversation i had you know three hours ago yeah like yeah relatively recently you know it's only like so again it just kind of emphasizes how distinct Phil and it must have been at the time in the 70s mm-hmm. you know like we still have that kind of as Finn said like it's still cool you know like awesome cool like but like just imagine like a mainstream artist out of Ireland like <laughs> he used to joke like that he was, he was like a pinty Guinness you know he's just like a tall black guy <laughs> but um yeah it was just yeah it was just a very strong it was a very contrasting representation of what Irish people were you know mm-hmm. So that's like just going back to it, like again, it was just very, very revolutionary in that sense. You yeah, you feel like it was almost prophetic mm, in a way. Yeah, well, I think it was a very important step for Ireland, you know, and kind of to be recognised as not just being, you know, that top of the morning stereotype, you know, mm. especially with the music as well, because it fucking rocks. I remember. Uh, see, I, I always find I always think the music actually Tennessee's music is very Irish, and. The kind of main lick in Whiskey in the Jar. I was so, so, so impressed when I heard that for the first time. Like I was like, that has to be like a traditional melody. It's not. Eric Bell just wrote that. I was so surprised not to hear it in the Dubliners version. And I remember some years ago, trying to think, probably like nine years ago. No, like seven years ago, I suppose, in that time frame. I actually went to see a guitar masterclass by Eric Bell, the guitarist at the, in the Whiskey in the Jar. And he was talking about that riff. And uh, really, it's a fantastic story. Uh, but he was in London at the time, and they hadn't, like, kind of recorded the song yet. He knew he, he had to write a lick of some sort for it. And uh, he struggled for ages to just try to write something. And he was in the hotel room, and uh, he was just getting ready to leave. And he just started humming. That was it. He, uh, he just started humming the tune. It's like, fuck me, that's really good. And uh, didn't have a guitar with him. 
So then he got into the taxi and he's like, fuck, I better not forget that bloody tune. So like, he was like constantly like in his head, he was like, in the airport, in the queue, on the plane, until he got back to Dublin, got a guitar. It was just like, right. And that's like how he came up with the riff. He like the whole journey from London. He's just like constantly, okay, I can't forget. I can't forget it. And I think like, it's just such an iconic riff at this mo- like at this point in Ireland. I'm still like I, I'm just gonna say it again. Like I was so surprised, not like that it wasn't a traditional Irish melody because you can, I could easily hear like the v- fiddle player from the Dubliners, John Sheen, just playing that. It's just very. I think it has a very Irish charm to it, you know. Mm. But uh, yeah, I just remember like and he stretched that story out for like good 20 minutes <laughs> like by the end of it everyone's like oh my god the journey what a journey harrowing <laughs> just constantly <laughs> anytime you see like documentaries about Phil in or Thin Lizzy on TV like RT like it's always mentioned you know how distinct Phil was, you know, just like Phil as a person, you know, he's very charismatic, was front man in the band, he's black, you know, like it, that in itself, you know, for Ireland to have kind of a mainstream artist who's black, it's like, it kind of goes against the grain of every perception of what Ireland was at that point, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm like, Phil was about town constantly, you know, like he was just walking down the street. He he was a per, like he was he was from from Crumlin, you know. So he was just kind of lower middle class, middle class, and like he'd be walking around town the whole time. Like like for for like it took a while for Tennessee to get big, you know. I think they released Whiskey in the Jar in like '73, and then it wasn't until like their album Jailbreak, which was an absolutely fantastic album. I think that was released in the mid '70s, mid to late. That's when they really kind of broke uh broke i think for a moment a while they did break america especially with that the boys are back in town that's probably one of their most popular ones it's huge yeah. yeah that so I think that I'm pretty sure that is off Jailbreak, but uh, Jailbreak as an album by itself was very popular. So like Phil didn't just be walking around the whole, in Dublin the whole time. Like he was just, he was always there. So like, it kind of. I think in a way he kind of represented kind of the future of Ireland, you know, in kind of in popular study, in popular culture. I think it, it it made people recognize Ireland for not like those stereotypical reasons, you know. The, the arts and stuff like that were being start beginning to be recognized like Rory Gallagher was rocking it you know all around Europe and North America and then you had the horse lips who were <laughs> I think I think they were very much kind of our, our Ireland their popularity was mainly focused in Ireland but they did tour Europe and uh, England as well but um I think the reason my man would choose the same thing is is very along the same lines you know it's just that kind of against the grain perception of what people thought Ireland was at that point.
especially in my mother's chamber. But here I am in prison. Here I am with a ball and chain, yeah. Much a ring, drama, do drama, da. Oh yeah, you were saying you know he you'd kind of catch him always walking around town. Yeah. Um, I feel like that kind of speaks. Although I've only been here a year, feels like it kind of speaks to the entire music scene here. Yeah. In terms of uh, accessibility. Yeah, very much so. Um, it's a very small town. It know? is a really small town. Yeah, ridiculously small. Like yeah. I remember our friend Tim went to New York and he was just astonished, you know? He kind of really puts everything into perspective. Like, you can walk from the north side of Dublin City to the south side in about casually in less than an hour, I'd argue. Like, from kind of like O'Connell Street to, I don't know, Baggage Street. Casually in that, like an hour, like with a cup of tea. If, <laughs> if that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's max. Yeah. That's if you're trying to, like, if you're like, walking at a snail pace, like, and yeah, sure, like, he was always, like, from what I've heard, he just used to walk around the whole time, he was just in the pubs, sure, like, there's a statue outside Brooks Isles of him, you know? Yeah, I've you seen know, he that. He was literally, like, he's just, it's kind of like the guardian, <laughs> the guardian of uh, town, <laughs> overlooking everything, mm. making sure no one's being an absolute dickhead. <laughs> Do you feel like, uh, I don't know, because, like, everywhere has small towns and big towns, and I feel like one thing I've noticed about Dublin is it has this really uh, unique uh, offering of the feeling of a small town with, like, the... Big town attitude? I don't know if there's a big town attitude in Dublin. Really? Do you feel like there's a big town attitude? I think... I think so, yeah. I think we like to punch above our own weight. <laughs> we like to think we do, anyway. That's, that may be true. Yeah. Yeah. We like to think of ourselves. But, like, that's what I was saying. Like, we like to think of ourselves as very big. But then, like, once you go to London or New York, it kind of set... It's like a child, like, uh, acting out. And then, like, you know what I mean? It's like, no, wrong. Get, like, go back to your, like, room. You know, you're kind of put back in your place immediately. It's just bizarre, though, because it's so old. And, you know, as any place, it's history has kind of brought it up to this point. And I know we're getting off topic here, but it's just a really interesting part about Dublin is, is like, you know, it's older than it's older than New York, you know, mm. older than L.A. Yeah, it's soaked in history. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And yet it continually has this really kind of... Um, it's like it, yeah. It's kind of just coming, becoming urban in a way. Yeah, I think so. For a long time, we were. It was very sure. Ireland, yeah, in general, it was. It was very kind of like. Remember, we were saying, my family's all from this. Uh, my mum's side, the family is from this town called Bunkrana, and 
they only got like traffic lights like in the 21st century you know it's just stuff like that and certain counties only getting electricity in the 70s what was what was that uh was it claire uh, was it yeah well uh an island an island was it was there Sorry, Claire, Claire Island? Nah, I don't know. Claire. I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry, Claire. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like... We sure, are, I, we like are the still, Aran Islands, maybe, yeah. even. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, they still they still struggle with their internet, like, the crazy stuff. But, um, yeah, like, I think we s- still are in a very maturing process of our culture, especially. Um, in main, as in, like, kind of modern culture. Um and I really feel like strongly that those rock bands of the seventies musically set the foundation, you know, like you two are incredibly indebted to the work of, uh, Thin Lizzy and Rory Gallagher and Horse Lips, trying to think of some other bands, you know, I can't, I can't, I cannot think of any. Well, I, there are lots. Yeah. And when you told me Thin Lizzy was Irish, it it really surprised me, honestly. Really? Pro- proportionately, if we're talking about how small Ireland is, proportionately, the amount of world-famous um, oh, music... Oh, it is crazy. It is nuts. Yeah, it really is insane. Pro- like, proportionately speaking, it's like... Yeah, I often think about that. That's like... But I think that's where we got our big, big town mentality from. Because mm. I don't know why... Why, like, I think about like Damien Rice was a singer-songwriter. He was huge for a while. Then U2, then Izzy, Roy Gallagher. Glenn Hansard. Glenn Hansard. The Frames, to a certain extent. You have the Undertones, who are a punk band. You know Teenage Kicks? Teenage Kicks are choosing now. Come on, they only No, I don't think I do. Irish band, incredibly cool. There hasn't been anything comparable to U2. I think they really... Hmm peaked you know how I popular mean, a band can be in general in let alone exactly. from ireland but i think it's just kind of interesting that like one of the most popular bands right now like in the world is irish you know yeah and, and i think it's a testament to that kind of mentality that we have sometimes you know we're very proud people you know and phil Lynn was like reflected that i think he used to i was it I think one time like he was being interviewed and he hated hated when people uh, thought he was English like he would like stop the interview and go I'm Irish sorry oh, I'm Irish and um, yeah we're incredibly proud people and, like we're overconfident to our own detriment sometimes but generally I think our confidence has gotten us very far and I think that's especially in music we're known, I think, globally as a very kind of musical country. So it kind of lends the, uh, to the idea that we would have very kind of very profound influence on the music of the world, whether that's traditional folk or rock. But uh, like the Holy Trinity for me is like, for like Irish rock is Horse Lips, Roy Gallagher, Tin Lizzy. Mm-hmm. I think, and they're all kind of like, there's a fantastic photo of uh, Roy Gallagher and Phil and it just fucking rocking it on stage. Like, this is really cool. Uh, I'll show you it after. It's awesome. Just, like, ah, I would love to hear the uh, Roy Gallagher's guitar tone and then Phil and it's this brooding voice, you know, really aggressive. 
uh, I think my, my favorite Thin Izzy song is, I was listening to it on the way down. I haven't listened to it in years. I went through a huge phase, like when I got that book, when I, I learned the tabature from, kind of, there was like Jailbreak was on it and Whiskey and the Jar Boys are back in town, uh, Cowboy song, but um, the best one, the best Thin Izzy song is Emerald, and specifically the Live and Dangerous album. I don't know, the, the lyrics I use are just so, I don't know, it's just invoke, I, I get really kind of patriotic when I hear the song, you know, about my kind of heritage and Celtic heritage and people going to war in the country. It's just really, and it's all backed by this, like, fucking balls to the wall rock. There's this most melodic, it's so, there's this one moment where two guitars, guitarists, I think it would have been possibly Brian Robertson and Snowy White, can't remember specifically. They constantly change guitarists, um, but they do this insane guitar harmony part. It's I think again similar to whiskey in a jar. I don't know why. I I think it sounds this very kind of Irish. It's very lyrical, very expressive, and yeah, it just has certain tones that they're being used there. They invoke that kind of Irish mysticism, you know, that kind of Celtic historical, almost romanticized perception of what Ireland was like in like the 15th, 16th, 17th century. It's like a wild forest and people going to war. It's so cool. Just like invokes this epic imagery of like a huge battle. It's awesome. Emerald. Down from the glen came a marching man. Shields and their swords to fight the fight they believe to be right, overthrow the overlords to the town where there was plenty. They brought plunder, sword, and flame. When they left the town, it was empty. Children would never play. I think Ireland, I think naturally, just, I think it's just the history of Ireland. We've always kind of looked towards other countries, you know? I think we're a very outward looking country on a whole, you know? More so than like, like I, I doubt like the English news is talking about what's happening in Ireland, you know? But like, our, yeah, our news is very incredibly focused on the outside world. And I think that's why we have always done very well abroad, because, yeah, I think we have no problem traveling, you know? And I think our poetry, for example, is, is always, like, Yeats and Wilde. Their poetry is just... Has, it's, it's just been spread all over the world. So I think we will continue. I think we we will grow stronger. We will grow more independent. But I think we will constantly be looking towards those like those typical centers of uh, culture, like London, New York. I don't think that's a bad thing, you know. But I think it has always done us well in the past, you know. So, although we are getting getting more independence and having more of an industry here, 
to a certain extent. Uh, but I don't. I think we will continue to definitely look outwards. I think that's what we do best. Many, many thanks to Gareth Quinn Redmond, Patty Ellis, John Steinbeck, and Eddie Matthews. All the tracks you heard today can be found on rlgage.com. I'm Johnny Pickett. Thanks for listening.